I'm interrupting my own podcast to talk to you about Anchor. Anchor is brought to you by Spotify and is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. It will also help you distribute your podcast across popular podcast hosting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Best of all, you can make money from your podcast on Anchor with no minimum listenership. So for those of us just starting out, this is very helpful. And do you know how much it costs to have everything you need to make a podcast in one place? 100% free. Yep, you heard me right. You can do all of this and make money for free. So if you have been thinking about starting your own podcast, now is your chance. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now let's get back to the episode. Hi, I'm Yan. Hi, I'm Yvonne. Welcome to Lost and Refound Podcast. We're a podcast discussing our personal journeys as modern Asian women and sharing inspiring stories from within our community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Lost and Refound Podcast. I'm your host, Yan, and we have Yvonne. Hi, Yvonne. Hey, Yan. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy Chinese New Year. Yeah, yes. Lunar New Year. Lunar New Year. (laughs) (laughs) Politically correct. Yes. Uh, We are pre-recording this episode. So today is Lunar New Year and Friday. It's been a long week. So I'm really excited. That's Friday. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So today we're talking about health, not just health, but holistic health and not just holistic health for humans, but specifically holistic health for dogs. I'm really passionate about this subject because I have two beautiful pitties who I love as much as my own children. One of them is 14 now, so making sure she has the best quality of her life in her senior years is very important to my husband and I. Today's guest is Jeremy Moran. Jeremy has been a family friend for over 10 years now, and he is my go-to consultant for anything dog-related. Jeremy's own dog, Bella, was diagnosed with cancer and given pretty much a death sentence. Instead of taking that news as the end all, Jeremy went fully into researching into holistic way to heal his dog, and he did just that. I'm so very excited to have Jeremy on the podcast today to give us all some insights into what he has learned about the pet industry and how we can make sure we are feeding our dogs the right balance of nutrition for a long, healthy life. So please help me welcome Jeremy to the show. Hi, Jeremy. Hi again. Hi, Yvonne. Thank you guys for having me today. Happy Chinese New Year. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today. Definitely. Can you first do a quick little introduction to our audience about you know, who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Jeremy Moran. Um, I'm the founder as well as a health consultant for Hopeful Holistics. It's basically a holistic health company that I started to help not only canines, but also people, because a lot of the same things that apply to us apply to our dogs. So it's things that can, you know, go both ways. You can take care of yourself as well as take care of your dog. I'm here to answer all questions and share a lot of insights so that you guys can help better take care of your dogs and yourselves. Yeah, so I think I would love for you to talk about the story with Bella, because I think the proof in the pudding in that story Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So same thing, just like Yan and her husband, Sabo, I also have an affinity for pit bulls. I have two pit bulls. I had two pit bulls. Um, I had a male named Milo who ultimately succumbed to heart failure. Um, And now I have Bella, who is going to be 10 years old. 
Um, and about a year and a half ago, she started acting not like herself. Didn't really want to drink water, wasn't eating food, throwing up, having diarrhea, just, you know, I could kind of see something wasn't right with her. So my background, I used to work at a specialty vet clinic for over eight years where we practiced neurology, oncology, internal medicine, surgery, not just your standard family practice vet. I mean, we're talking full diagnostics, full surgical procedures, oncology, you know, heart transplants, anything you can think of, we did it at this clinic. And I learned a lot of Western philosophy working at this place. So I figured it was the right place to take my dog. After racking up about, you know, over $6,000 worth of diagnosis just to figure out what was going on with her, it ultimately was stage four lymphoma. Her liver and her spleen were two times the size they should have been. And ultimately, I was given the option of meeting with an oncologist to discuss a chemotherapy protocol called CHOP, which is when they use multiple chemotherapy drugs in unison um, over the course of six months and hope that your pet reaches remission. Um, and then when they reach remission, it might be a short-lived period of time because ultimately the cancer always comes back um, with chemotherapy. Um, even if you kill 99.9% .9 of the cancer, usually in a tumor, say there's 100 billion cancer cells and you kill 99.9%, you're still left with well over 100 million cancer cells that have developed resistance to most chemotherapy drugs. After doing research, chemotherapy is nothing other than injecting your pet with poison. It's a toxic substance. It was discovered in World War II when soldiers were forced out of their bunkers because of mustard gas. Mustard gas is poison. It would actually deteriorate your skin. It would just eat your insides away. And a laboratory thought it would be a good idea to test this mustard gas on rats with cancer. And they developed, you know, a small enough dose that, yeah, it, it removed the tumor. And they thought, oh, this is great. You know, we're going to go ahead. This is our new thing. We're going to develop all these protocols and set this up. And, you know, they got funded. And that's still where we're at in Western medicine Today, we use chemotherapy, we use poison to treat cancer. And cancer isn't a definitive diagnosis. Cancer is basically a term that we in Western society have given disease. It, it, cancer is nothing more than a mutated cell within a body that has the ability to reproduce, grow tumors, and feed off of what we put into ourselves. So, you know, after doing a lot of research, I determined that I didn't want to put my dog through this. I didn't want to have to take my dog to the vet every single week, drop her off, leave her for the whole day, and then pick her up and deal with the slew of side effects. I witnessed it when I worked there. You drop your pet off, your pet's miserable. Unless your pet likes being under fluorescent light in a steel crate, linoleum floor being poked and prodded by people they don't know. It's extremely stressful. Another thing in my research led me to is the body can't heal itself in a stressful state. When your body is stressed, your immune system does not function correctly. 
it's the same thing in our pets, even more so because they can't communicate with the people treating them, right. letting them know that, hey, this is something, I, I'm, this isn't working, I don't like this. They can't communicate with us. They just, they ultimately are at our disposal for whatever we choose as a treatment option for them. So I decided to heal my dog in my home with my family where she could be comfortable, recover, and allow herself to be in a parasympathetic stress response instead of a highly agitated, you know, what's going on, you know, environment. So nutrition, supplements, and cannabis oil was the protocol that I put together in order to heal her. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't overnight. It, it took a couple months. You know, a lot of people would have given up because of the side effects. Sometimes your pet doesn't want to eat. Sometimes your pet's going to go throw up. Sometimes your pet's going to have diarrhea, nasal discharge, eye discharge. And we in Western society are so quick to take our dog to the vet at the slightest little sign of, oh my God, there's something wrong with my dog. In nature, a wolf or a wild dog would remove themselves from the pack, go out on their own, and they would either eat grass or some sort of a soil or clay component that had the necessary minerals and vitamins that they needed to help their immune system detoxify itself of any toxic buildup that they had going on at the time. So ultimately through the use of the nutrition, the supplements and the cannabis oil, it was a purging process. It, it's, it's called a Herxheimer reaction when the body has more built up toxins in it than it can actually expel at a given time. And to most people, like I said, it looks horrible. Oh my God, my dog is dry heaving, trying to, you know, throw up and mucousy diarrhea. And, but I knew that this was part of the process and I didn't want to take her into the vet where she's going to get stressed again. And then they're just going to treat a symptom. Right. But Jeremy, correct me if you're, if, if I'm wrong, even if you took Bella to get chemo, she will still have these kind of side effects, right? Because I know humans that get chemo, they throw up, they don't have any energy, you know, they're purging. It's, it's, they're also having side effects. There's going to be side effects regardless what kind of treatment that you are going, will be doing for something like cancer. Correct. You are right in that. However, the difference is you're being injected with a poison. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's your healthy cells trying to get that poison out yep. versus going the nutritional supplemental and, and the cannabis route. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen inside the body is these healthy cells are going to help fight off the cancer cells and they're going to try to expel all the toxins in the body out, not necessarily more poison that you're injecting. So essentially chemotherapy, your body's having to do twice the work. It's trying to get out toxins it already has, plus more toxins that are being built up through the chemotherapy protocol. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place, and I do believe in an integrative approach. Some cancers that are far along do respond very well to chemotherapy treatments in pets, much more so than in humans, because the doses of the toxins that they use are way less. Um, so the side effects are also a lot less. Um, but I don't necessarily believe that it's needed, right? 
I think that there's other, I think the immune system, the way it was made and created does just a fine job if you give it the tools that it needs. So back to what I was saying about having to take her into the vet, if I would have taken her into the vet because she was vomiting, the vet would have prescribed me a medication to help with anti-nausea. If I would have brought her in for diarrhea, the pet would have given me a pill, an anti-diarrhea pill. That's just more things that the liver would have to process. Another thing for the body to exert energy towards instead of allowing the immune system to heal itself. So the best thing anyone can do is cutting out kibble from their pet's diet, whether they have an illness or they're a puppy, because it's full of chemicals, it's full of carbohydrates. And those are two things that your pet definitely does not need inside of them. Just like, you know, we see it with people, right? You hear people that have cancer that decided to start juicing and doing cleanses and start eating better and miraculously they're better. Well, it's not miraculously that they're better. They put in the work and the effort and they reap the rewards of their efforts. And the same thing can happen with our dogs. It's just a matter of actually taking the time to do all the research yourself. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of hours researching clinical studies done in Israel with cannabis, holistic medicine, you know, different glandular support. It goes on and on and on and on. I highly recommend people consulting with a holistic veterinarian, a holistic health consultant, somewhere outside of your regular veterinarian. Your regular veterinarian is there for advice and support. It's important to get your vet to have a checkup once or twice a year for diagnostics because without blood work, you're not going to know what's going on inside of your pet. Now let's talk about dog food, right? Kibbles. Yeah. And why it's so bad. I, I think Sable told you, I watched this long, like 40 minute commercial from Dr. Marty that he also talked about, you know, how bad kibble is. And he says, one of the, I forgot the top three items, but one of them was preservatives. And oh, yeah. he said, that's something that humans should not be ingesting and your pets, especially should not be ingesting preservatives. And then he also talked about, um, you know, things like wheat and, and carbohydrates. I know you learn a lot about the pet food industry outside of, you know, being just preservatives and carbohydrates. What else is so bad about kibble and is raw food diet a better option than kibble? Yeah. So have this right here. Love Dr. Marty. Here's one of his books. I highly recommend everybody reading it. Dr. Marty Goldstein. Um, he's amazing. He does a lot of work. He's based down in LA. So kibble there's a couple, I mean, not a couple, there's a lot of things wrong with kibble. For one, your dog doesn't need simple carbohydrates that break down to glucose, which is sugar. I mean, your dogs don't need it. Your dogs need protein, fat, complex carbohydrates. Amino acids are the building block of our cellular structure, as is our dog. Dogs have actually evolved to adapt more to our diet out of convenience than anything else. It's very easy to go buy a $30, 30 pound bag of kibble at the store that they market as natural, healthy, optimal nutrition, anything they can put on that to get your attention. It's, it's good marketing practice. For us, it's convenient, right? Scoop, dump, put it down, and there it is. Your feeding's done. So the reason why kibble is so affordable is because it's stuff that you and me wouldn't eat, Right? It's not premium grade muscle protein like we eat, chicken breast, turkey breast, lean cut beef, pork, any of that. 
it's scrap meat. Most kibble that you can buy at a pet store, you're gonna find it's gonna say meat meal or it's gonna say bone meal. If it says chicken meal or turkey meal or beef meal, at least you know that that's coming from that specific animal. However, when it says meat meal or bone meal, you can be assured that that meat came from a rendering plant. If you're not familiar with what a rendering plant is, it's where dead zoo animals end up. It's where farmers that have sick cattle that they would have sold to a slaughterhouse to go to market for human grade food. It might've sat on their property for three or four months of them trying to feed it antibiotics to get it better and it didn't. And then they either put it out of its misery or it died, that ends up at a rendering plant. Roadkill ends up at a rendering plant. As sickening as this is, most people nowadays are so attached to their pet, when the time comes for euthanasia, they usually receive a private cremation where they receive their ashes back. However, pets that are euthanized in a shelter or people that don't want their remains back, it's called a communal cremation. And what a communal cremation is, it's a bunch of animals cremated at the same time. Well, that doesn't always happen though. Sometimes those animals end up at the rendering plant, okay? No. Yeah. A dog, a cat, you know, I, yes, it's very common practice for your pet, if not selected for private cremation, could end up at a rendering plant. And what does that do? You now have an animal that you know was sick that went right into a food source. Could have had euthanasia drugs still in it, antibiotics, chemotherapy, who knows what could be in there. Um, they don't test for that. It's standard practice for them just to increase protein levels to be able to put a certificate or, you know, like a little label on their bag saying meets minimum nutritional requirements set by the, I think it's called AFCO, the American Foundation of Canine. I forget the exact terminology, but it always has to have that to be sold in a pet store, which is just meeting minimal nutrition needs. The next thing, is all the carbohydrates that are in there. To get a kibble that's, you know, like a little cookie or a little cracker almost, it's mostly simple carbohydrates. It's, it's, it's grains, it's starches, it's, you know, wheat, it's flour, it's fillers. It's all these things that your pet does not need. Um, and ultimately, what's even worse, well, not worse than those, but just as bad, is the way that it's processed. It is cooked in a pressure cooker at temperatures above 400 degrees, which essentially strip all nutritional value right out of it and add a slew of carcinogens. When you cook anything at that temperature, there's going to be a byproduct of carcinogen that's given off at that extreme heat. So that's why all these pet food manufacturers have to add all these you know, vitamins and minerals and all this stuff after the process, along with preservatives, like you mentioned. One of the main preservatives that's used is one of the main ingredients that's used to make our tires and rubber product. That's in your kibble. So if you think feeding your dog a tire is nutritious and healthy for them, by all means, keep feeding them kibble. But the end result is going to be suboptimal nutrition, poor health, poor skin and coat, arthritis. I mean, everything is linked to nutrition. There's a saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. There's nothing that's preventing us from feeding our pets a healthy, balanced diet other than our time and effort. So for most people that consider their pets part of their family, 
It's a real simple, easy change that you can make. And I highly recommend that everybody do it. Yeah. And I would say another reason is because we just don't know, right? Like unless until Correct. you have told Sable and then he told me, I had no idea. You know, I used to work at a dog rehab center for almost a year and we saw a lot of sick dogs and over there is where I learned, you know, one in two dogs now can get cancer. Thought about all of these things that could contributing, but I didn't think about my kibble. It says it's natural foods. It doesn't have added wheat or anything. So it should be good for them. And I didn't think about how high temperature they have to cook it and how much more additives they had to put in to make it look like a cookie, like you said. And when I feed my dog treats, you can tell if I offer them like a chicken jerky versus a biscuit, Every single time they're going for the chicken jerky, the biscuits, the last thing they will go eat because it's very clear it's not natural food for them. So outside the kibble, then the next big movement is a raw food movement. And, you know, Dr. Marty has said we should always cook the dog food. It's not great to feed them just all raw diets. What is your thought on the raw food diet? I also agree with Dr. Marty. Freeze-dried is better than raw, I believe. It preserves all the nutrients and it eliminates any type of contamination that you might get with unsafe handling of raw materials. You never know what type of bacteria can get in there. On the other note, dogs do have kind of more of a hearty gut than we do. That wouldn't work for us. We couldn't eat raw food and bones, Mm -hmm. but raw food's definitely better than feeding your dog store-bought kibble. Okay. It's definitely more nutritious. You're going to get a lot more benefit, but it might come with some upset stomach, some indigestion, some other side effects. Right. And I definitely don't recommend it. If you already know that your pet is suffering from some sort of ailment like cancer, it's not an optimal diet to feed your pet who might be suffering from something else. So would you say, so I know your part of your service is we fill out a questionnaire about our dog health and our dog lifestyle. And then you kind of, you know, talk to us and look at their medical record and you do a recommendation of, you know, what we should be feeding the dog, depending on I'm thinking the age um, and, you know, just the, the lifestyle in general, but without your service, let's just say, do you have some suggestions for everyday pet owners? What can they do right now? That's pretty affordable that can help with their dog's diet. If let's say they don't have time to make a meal every single time or raw food diet might be too expensive, you know, what can they do just to make the kibble a little bit better for their dogs? Yeah, sure. First off, before we even get into that, I think it's important to know that 60% of dogs are obese in America. Okay. And the reason why is because of the kibble that we feed them based on the suggested feeding schedule that's printed on the bag of food we buy. I have taken a canine nutritional course. I have also taken a physical therapy course for canines and learned that what's printed on that bag, on those bags of kibble that you buy, that is for an extremely active working breed. So Mm. let's say you have a 50 pound dog and it's recommending that you feed three and a half cups of kibble per day. That's if your dog is out there herding cattle for 10, 12 hours a day. I guarantee you a majority of America's pets are sleeping on their sofa and maybe going for a five minute walk a day. The (laughs) amount that they actually need is probably about half of that. But, you know, again, it comes back to marketing. The more kibble you go through, the more money you're spending and the more you buy. But back to things that you can do. 
Not everybody has the time to home cook and prep all their food for their pet, but there's easy things that you can do. If you're stuck on kibble, that's fine, but cut that amount way down and add something in there once in a while. Give them some sardine. If your family's having roasted chicken or turkey or something, we've been fed these lies for so long that table scraps are bad for your dog. They're not. If you're eating it, it's good for your dog, with the exception of certain things that could be toxic to them, like grapes or onion, certain things you just shouldn't feed a dog. But any type of meat, as long as it doesn't have like spicy seasoning on it, you can give your dog. You can give your dog broccoli. You can give your dog carrots, mushrooms, peppers, anything basically that's going to be on your dinner table can be in your dog's bowl cottage cheese, plain yogurt, adding some olive oil. There's all very simple little things that you can do to boost their health that'll help their coat, their energy levels, full of antioxidants. But I would say if you do nothing else, sardines by far are the best supplemental additive you can add to your pet's food, just simply for the amount of natural omega-3 that's in there and a protein source. A standard can of sardine usually has about three sardine fillets in there, and you get 26 grams of protein, along with your whole daily intake that you need of omega-3s with very low omega-6, because that's another thing. A lot of dog food's high in omega-6 because of the protein that comes from a meat source, and we don't counterbalance that with omega-3s, but sardines are a great way to do that. So I would say those are simple things that you can do. Other options now with all of this coming to light and people educating themselves about not only their health, but the health of their pets. A lot of companies have popped up that do delivery services right to your door. The farmer's dog, Nom Nom. I always give my clients a full list of these companies and say, hey, if you're not willing to home cook, look into these. And if the price point's affordable for you, and your thing was strictly out of convenience, you don't have an excuse because there's options that'll come right to your door that you just need to thaw out and put it in the bowl and you're done. And it's balanced and it's wholesome. Yeah, that there's definitely the convenience factor. I purchased Dr. Marty's his freeze-dried food. I had to say, it's going to be too expensive for us. For um, I think what I spent, it was $180 for six bags. And I was thinking that'll be enough for two dogs for a month. No, but that turned, yeah, it turned out to one bag will feed my dog a day. Both of my doctors, one day per bag. <laughs> like that's he not actually, good. He himself says that if you have a large breed dog, it's not really optimal for most families. Yeah, it's I missed more, that part. <laughs> it's more geared towards, you know, small toy breeds that, you know, a bag of that will last them a lot longer. Yeah, I am using as a, like a topping. Just use that. He said, like anything you can add on top of kibble, it's going to be better for your dog and you will notice a difference. Definitely. So I was told that we shouldn't feed our dog's table scraps because of salt, because our food has salt in there and we shouldn't be feeding dogs salty food. Is that a concern? It is a concern. Like I, like I said, if, if you have highly seasoned meat with like a ton of spices, definitely not. But when you're preparing the food, you can always take a little portion away before you season it mm -hmm. just for your special friend, right? Yeah. Or you can rinse it under hot water and a little bit of salt isn't going to be harmful because as long as they have access to fresh water, 
most of the times their body will tell them that they need to flush their system a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And let's also talk about the cannabis part, right? Um, Athena is now 14 years old and I, I think she's in a really good health for 14 years. old. she looks great. She has plenty of energy right now still. And I contribute to that, to the fact that we have been feeding her CBD for years now, twice a day with her meal. We have upped the amount now that she's older and we have definitely noticed a difference. You know, if we feel like you know, she, I think that's really helpful. Can you talk about, you know, why CBD and cannabis will be good for your dogs? Sure, of course. I mean, as you know, your husband's in the industry. I've worked <laughs> with him. I, I'm a big supporter of cannabis. I use it myself. My give it to my dog two times a day. And not only CBD, THC. I do believe that synergistically, they work better together to allow the body to achieve homeostasis. Dogs are going to reap the benefit of cannabis the same way we are because they have the same endocannabinoid system that we do, with the exception that the canine has the largest amount of CB1 receptors in the brain out of any mammal. That's why if a dog gets too much THC, they have a real bad reaction, not only because they don't know what we're giving them. So when it, when the effects hit them, they're not aware of it. And they're a lot more sensitive because of the amount of receptors in their brain. But it's not to say that when done correctly, the way I work with clients is I start them on protocols where it starts off with nothing but CBD. Basically, it's priming the system. It primes the endocannabinoid system to then receive THC in a manner where it's not going to you know, have the psychoactive effects that it would without the CBD. So by titrating your dose in small increments built up over a couple weeks, you can ultimately, at one point when Bella was battling her cancer right at the heart of it, she was receiving upwards of, got 100 milligrams of CBD a day and probably 60 to 80 milligrams of THC to actually cause apoptosis and kill the cancer cells in her body. It's great for arthritis. It's great for if your pet suffers from anxiety, like going in the car or gets nauseous, it's great for that. It can be given multiple ways too, because obviously they can't inhale it like we would for the onset to occur within a minute or two. They need to either have the drops placed in their mouth where sublingual absorption can occur. And that takes anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes usually in a dog or you can soak it in a treat or put it in their food, but then it needs to go through the digestive tract and the liver, and it might take a couple hours for them to feel the effects. But nonetheless, it's plant medicine and it works wonders and it's completely natural. Dogs will actually seek it out in the wild and eat it in their raw form. So CBDA and THCA before we convert it with heat also has therapeutic benefits. It's just a little bit different, but I highly recommend people don't try to dose their dogs themselves and definitely know what you're buying because there's a lot of snake oil out there. People are making money off of the CBD stuff left and right. A lot of times what you're going to get is you're going to get pressed hemp seeds, which, you know, hemp oil is great. It's full of omegas. It's good protein. It's, It's packed full of antioxidants, but you're not getting the CBD um, you know, the molecule, you're not getting that, you're not getting that chemical. 
Which, right, and nowhere as expensive as buying true CBD, right? right? You're paying premium price for not, but not for the premium product. Well, correct, right? Because you think you're getting it and you're not. Mm-hmm. So unless I tell people, unless you can get a certificate of analysis or a QR code that actually tracks, you know, your product from seed to finished product with lab tests, it's also important to know the difference So there's CBD that's derived from hemp and there's CBD that's derived from cannabis or marijuana. Over the years, all the breedings and genetics, now you can get extremely high CBD content in marijuana and extremely low THC content, but you can also get that same CBD from hemp. It's just a matter of knowing that you're not gonna get as many of the cannabis phytocannabinoids, flavonoids, and terpenes that you would Um, in the cannabis plant. CBD is CBD is CBD. It's a molecule. Whether it comes from hemp or cannabis, it's the same molecular structure and it does the same thing in our body. However, I recommend when people are giving CBD from a hemp-derived product that they also do give a cannabis product, whether it's a 20 to 1, 30 to 1, 3 to 1 CBD to THC ratio, whatever, just so that they're, they're getting the benefits of all the other compounds. People should also be aware of the difference between full spectrum, broad spectrum, and isolates, okay? If you're buying CBD isolate, like in a powder form or just a liquid isolate, you're not gonna reap the benefits. You're still gonna get the CBD content and your pet will ultimately get some benefit, but nothing like they will from full spectrum. So I always recommend people Full spectrum, if you can't find full spectrum, get broad spectrum, stay away from isolates, know what you're buying, do your research. And if you don't contact somebody like me or somebody that actually knows what it is and what you need to be giving at what dose, because less is more, I believe. So once you can find the optimal dose, it's recommended to stick with that and actually skip it a couple days. It's not necessarily beneficial to give it religiously every morning, every night, every morning. It's good to kind of give the the endocannabinoid system a break, let it regenerate on its own because the body does produce its own endocannabinoids. Mm -hmm. We're putting phytocannabinoids in through the use of CBD or THC products, which stimulate the system. So whether your dog's suffering from depression, anxiety, arthritis, cancer, Um, any type of immune deficiency, it can help. And I've seen it firsthand in people and in pets. And, you know, you're always going to get naysayers and people that are like, oh, no, you know, it's it's toxic. It's going to make my pet end up in the hospital. It's not. No, my my pet's thriving on it. So I definitely seeing a difference, especially, you know, with Jojo, my beagle that passed away, you know, his last few months, it was a lot of like up and down, up and down. And we noticed the days that we upped the dosage, he will have a lot more energy. He seemed to be less pain. You know, he's a lot more social. So I can definitely see a difference, but I agree. You should talk to a professional, like someone like you, you know, I'm lucky because Sable is in the industry. So he's able to advise, but if you don't know anybody in the street, then definitely, you know, talk to someone first who's a yeah. professional. And another thing with the cannabis is it's proven now, like even if you're worried about giving your dog a higher dose of THC, it can be counterbalanced by just simply putting a larger amount of CBD in their mouth. They'll actually snap out of it within about an hour. The best thing to do is if, say, God forbid, you 
thought you were giving your pet CBD, but instead you were giving them THC at the higher amount than the CBD, it's nothing to freak out and bring your pet to the vet about. A dark room with water, no noise, and administer the CBD, they'll be fine in a couple hours. It's not toxicity like most veterinarians are going to, well, I, I saw it firsthand when I worked at that clinic. People would come in all the time because, you know, their pet got in, the kid was home from college and the pet got into the backpack and ate an edible and they spent thousands of dollars, left their pet there overnight on IV fluids and then the pet was fine the next day. Yeah, that's happened to me quite a few times before we had kids when we were less careful about where we put our, our weed. All three of our dogs have gotten to before. And exactly like you said, I'll take them to the vet, we'll pay a lot of money. All they do is give them fluids and have them rest. Yeah, yeah. and that's all, that's all they need. They need rest. They need darkness because the sensory light becomes yes. extremely bright to them. Noise is extremely loud. Their, their sensitive hearing is amplified even more under those circumstances. And one other thing that I didn't touch on is pain control. So any pets that are suffering from pain via arthritis, after post-op surgery, cannabis is a great alternative that's a lot healthier than what your vet's going to prescribe you, whether that be gabapentin, tramadol, rimadel, which is an anti-inflammatory chewable tablet, which absolutely destroys the liver. Pets that are on it long-term need to have their liver checked like bi-weekly just to make sure that they're not dying of liver disease. So with cannabis, it's actually been proven to be 20% more effective than most of those methods in pain control and there's no side effects. So it's definitely the way to go in my eyes. Yeah, it's a, it's a miracle plant. It really is. It really is. Um, okay, so aside from food, you mentioned earlier, you know, most pets in America are probably sitting on a couch and getting like five minutes of walk, just go outside and relieve themselves. What's the right amount of exercise a dog should be getting, you know, especially a healthy dog? So there's multiple factors that come into that, right? There's the age of your pet, the size of your pet, whether your pet has arthritis, whether your pet's recovering from some sort of an injury, there's no real set specified limit of exercise. I tell everybody, the person that knows your pet best is you. So you need to go off of the signs that your dog gives you. If you're walking and your dog stops frequently and just kind of like looks up at you, you probably overdid it and you probably shouldn't do that much. Um, if you get home and the first thing your pet does is go to his toy bin and get a ball and want to play more, well, you probably didn't walk him enough. For example, Bella, you know, she's a pit bull. She's 50 pounds and she's almost 10 years old. I probably walk her 20 minutes in the morning and sometimes 40 minutes in the afternoon. She lets me know. She's never like limping or anything, but she's older. When she was younger, she would go to the park and run around and play Frisbee. But now she can't play frisbee anymore because she's got two bad knees, um, mm -hmm. you know, and part of that was my fault, right? For most of her life before she got sick. And before I started doing all this research, I was feeding her kibble and she was overweight. She weighed normally between 62, 65 pounds. I've dropped her now down to 50 pounds. And I keep her at that because it keeps that weight off of all her joints, her back. It allows her to feel better. She can go longer walks. It's just the best thing that you can do for your pet 
is keep them in optimal shape. You control what goes into your pet. If your pet's obese, it's your fault. It's not your dog's fault. People see my dog and they're like, why can I see the first two or three ribs on your dog? I'm like, because she's got a perfect body condition. They're not supposed to look like a torpedo. They're supposed to dip in and have a waistline just like we are, right? Mm -hmm. And we are in complete control of that. So it's as simple as cutting back on the amount of food we give our pet. And a lot of people don't factor into the amount of treats that we give our pets throughout the day. That is also part of their food. So, you know, if you're one of those people that are given treats all the time, you need to cut way back on mealtime. This only applies to a wholesome, like home-cooked diet, mostly consisting of protein, fat, and complex carbohydrates. A pet should eat between 2 to 3% of their target body weight. Not the body weight that they might be at, but the body weight that mm. is ideal for them. So... For Bella, she gets 0.7 pounds of food per day, and that keeps her at 50 pounds. That's about 2.5% of her ideal body weight. 3% should be more for dogs that are really active. 2%, probably the majority of dogs that are just laying around throughout the day. Okay, yeah. Athena, she she has always been pretty skinny dog. I, I think she's in shape. You can see uh, yeah, the no, first two ribs, you're, yeah. you know. And people always tell me she's too skinny. No. You, know, you look like you're starving her, but she's really healthy. Yeah. Versus now we have Casper, he's one, and I have been feeding him according to what the bag tells him I'm supposed to feed him. And this morning, actually, I was walking him and I go, I can't see his waist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do this every day because of my work schedule, but a few times a day a week, I'll take him on an hour long walk and then we'll stop by the dog park and he'll run around. So it's like a good amount of work exercise for him. So I was wondering, how is he gaining all this weight? And now this makes sense. I'm feeding him too much food. He didn't need yeah. that much food. And on top of that, I am giving him treats throughout the day because he's, you know, I felt bad. He's a, he's a shelter dog. I wanted to pamper him. And so now he's starting to get overweight. Yeah. And when it comes to treats like nutrition, like you said, they're going to take the jerky all the mm -hmm. time, right? Yeah. And that's a much healthier treat to give them or any type of protein. You don't want to give them anything that's got flour or like the first ingredient isn't the protein source, right? Yeah. Because they don't need it. It's just going to turn into sugar. It's going to be carbohydrate, which, I mean, if you have an active dog and they're running around all the time, burning it off, it might not be as bad as an older dog that just looks at you every time you go to the pantry because they want to treat and you feel bad and you give them something, it's better to give them something high in protein. So make sure that you're always checking those ingredient lists when you're buying your treats too, not just your food. It's got to, it's got to be across the board. It's a truly holistic approach. Yeah. I know that a lot of my friends that do have dogs, they think the same thing. Oh, my dog is hungry. So that's why I want to feed them something. Um, is, but do they have the same hunger? Your dog's always <laughs> hungry. <laughs> right. So is that natural <laughs> to always be hungry? Dogs are always hungry. They're opportunistic. They basically want to mimic us. So if we're eating, they want to be eating. I if, see. We're, if we go to where the food source is, they're going to want to go to the, where the food source is. But the good thing is, like I said before, we can control all of it because they can't go open the door and get themselves a cookie, right? They can't pour themselves their food. It's up to us. So if your dog's overweight, 
you can easily correct that in one to two months time, you could get them to their optimal weight by feeding them the amount of food that they should be eating. And earlier I talked about, you know, when a wolf in the wild, if it's sick, it will take himself away from the pack and try to find grass to eat or, or clay to eat. That kind of behavior barred our, our other dog that passed away from cancer. We definitely start noticing, you know, at nighttime, you know, even in the cold, he will go like to the furthest corner of the yard and like lie down there by himself. At that time, we didn't know that much, you know, so we didn't know that was a sign that he was sick. So by the time we knew yeah. he was sick, we literally had 15 minutes to say bye to him because it was too late, way too late. Also, there are many times we'll see, you know, our dogs will go out and eat grass. All of this is some kind of behavior that we should be observing. You know, what are certain behaviors we should look out for that could be concerning? You should always pay attention to water intake. If they're drinking excessive amounts of water or if they're not drinking enough water. Because when they're drinking excessive amounts of water, normally they're trying to flush something out of their body. So my last dog, Milo, not only did he suffer from heart disease, he had an overactive parathyroid gland, which, you know, same thing with people. We have thyroid and parathyroid glands that are located in our neck and they regulate hormones as well as the parathyroid gland regulates calcium in our body. So he couldn't regulate calcium. So he was drinking water, drinking water, drinking water because there was so much calcium buildup in his body. He was trying to get rid of it. I had never seen him drink water like that. So I knew something was wrong. So ultimately that's how we found out. Other signs to look for are cloudy eyes. When they have real cloudy eyes, that's another form of toxic buildup in their body or goopy eyes or runny discharge out of the nose. If your dog ever goes and just kind of goes in a corner and stares or goes up against the wall and just stares, definitely something neurologic is wrong. I mean, most people know when something is wrong with their pet. Your pet might go a day or two without eating and that shouldn't be alarming to the point where you rush your pet to the vet because ultimately you're gonna put them in a stressful situation and they're probably gonna get some medicine that is just going to add to what the body's already trying to fight off. Fasting is great for dogs. It's actually recommended. Dr. Marty recommends, you know, dogs that are on like a raw diet or freeze-dried diets, it's good once a week, once every other week to fast your pet. Don't give them any food. Allow the body to process what's already inside of it and focus on removing any toxins instead of just putting more food in the system. If it's like four or five days, that's something to be concerned with. But water consumption is definitely something to pay attention to. You know, if you're filling the water bowl up multiple times a day in winter, and it's not like a hot day where they're out exercising and just replenishing the lost fluid from panting and drooling, that's something that should alarm you. Another thing is urination, right? If your pet is urinating more or less than normal, that's all something could be going on in the kidneys, mm -hmm. right? Another thing to look for is the quality of the stool, different colors. If your pet stools ever show blood in it or is dark black when it comes out, that's something to be alarmed with. Just lifting up and looking at the color of their gums, yep. right? If it's like a bluish gray color, they could be suffering from anemia and you need to get your pet to a vet right away. They should always be like a nice pink color. You should be able to 
indent it, like push it in with your finger, it'll turn white. If you pull it away and it stays that color and the capillaries don't refill in and give that pink color, you know, there's something going on and that, that warrants a call or a trip to your vet as well. So I'd say paying attention to the stool, the urine, water consumption. If they're not wanting to eat their food for say longer than four or five days, that would be concerning in any type of unusual discharge out of any orifice of the body. Okay. And yeah, those are all things that, you know, indicate something's wrong. And speaking of water, we, and at the beginning of the pandemic, we got a Berkey, right? So we started feeding our dog filter water because it's readily available. Is that necessary to feed a dog filter water as regular tap water okay? Or depending on region, are there certain things in the tap water we should be concerned about for our dogs? So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually one of the number one recommendations I make to clients for themselves, their family, as well as their pets. Because let me tell you, your tap water today isn't the same your tap water was for your parents when they were growing up, okay? Pharmaceutical companies have drug lists that will fill up, you know, an encyclopedia. I think one in eight people are on some sort of antidepressant, okay? you get about a 20% absorption rate of most oral medications that you take. The rest of that is flushed out of the body. Where does it go? Your urine. Where's your urine go? In the toilet. Where's your toilet flush to? The water treatment plant. What does your water treatment plant test for? Bacteria and virus. Do they test for pharmaceuticals? No. Okay. Do they test for pesticides? No. So your tap water has fluoride, and chlorine added to it for flavor, clarity, bacterial reasons, and virus reasons. You don't know what's in your drinking water unless you pay somebody to actually analyze mm -hmm. it, okay? Birth control, right? There's hormones in your drinking water, estrogen, rampant, okay? I have done the research. You shouldn't be drinking tap water, and you shouldn't be giving it to your dog. You shouldn't just turn on the faucet and fill up your dog's bowl. Your dog should get the same filtered water that you get. There's Brita filters, which do an okay job of removing some of the stuff, but really I recommend, you know, you got a good, that Berkey filter mm -hmm. is good. I always recommend people actually installing at least a three-stage filter underneath their kitchen sink. It just dispenses the water out of a separate little faucet. Mm -hmm. um, it's affordable. You can get one of those for like, $130. It's easy to install. The filters are actually more cost effective changing those because there's three of them. The first filter you need to change every three to six months. Second filter you change every six to 12 months. And the third filter you change every 12 to 18 months. And it's more affordable than replacing the little filter in your fridge and that Brita filter on a regular mm -hmm. basis. And it does a much better job of removing heavy metals, pesticides, pharmaceuticals, all these things that are in our water. It's one of those things that you don't really think about when it's your dog. Your dog's water bowl is empty. You turn on the tap, you fill it up, you put it right. down. But really what you're doing is you're allowing more toxins into your pet's body. So there's no reason why there's an epidemic right now. The, what we feed our pet, what we give them to drink, and what we expose them to. You know, I don't know if you were going to ask me, but I'm going to tell you about all the chemicals, whether you're cleaning your floors with pine saw, that's going directly into your pet's nose. It's paws. And they're licking the floor when you drop something on the floor. They're, they're licking mm -hmm. the floor. 
So I always tell people, you know, make your own. Vinegar and water does just as good of a job and it's less toxic, right? Yes. When you're walking your pet, be aware of where you're walking your pet because if you live in a homeowner's complex, they're treating your lawn with pesticides and they're also treating your lawn with fertilizers, which a pet with their nose to the ground, it's going right into their olfactory system that goes right into their bloodstream. Not to mention through the porous surface of their paws and then they go home and they lick their paws, their paws get irritated. The amount of chemicals and toxins in our pets are twofold to the amount that go into us. So I always tell people, do the best that you can at removing any toxins. That also goes for air fresheners. A lot of people have, you know, those automatic spray air fresheners in the house or a Glade plug-in. Those are toxic. Mm -hmm. They're toxic. Your dog is breathing that in. You're breathing it in. It's not good for you. You know, use essential oil. Use a diffuser that's much healthier that will give you the same desired results. Another big concern that people have with their pets is the vaccine schedule, which is nowhere near where it should be. We over-vaccinate our pets in America beyond belief. It's a buildup of toxins. You're basically injecting your pet over and over again. Every year you get that card from your vet saying, hey, you're due for your checkup and your vaccines. And most of the time it'll be like a six or seven in one shot that they give them at one time, which yes. is overkill. More than likely your pet's gonna have a reaction from that, right? So studies have been done now. The only thing really that your dog needs to be vaccinated for when they're a puppy is distemper and parvo. And then once they get to the right age, which I believe is like four months, they get their first rabies shot. Beyond that, it's overkill. They don't need lepto. They don't need all these other ones that they try to give you. They try to give you an influenza shot for your dog. I try to give you Bordetella, which is kennel cough. Kennel cough resides in usually two to three days. It clears up on its own. Your pet's more likely to get it by getting that injection than not receiving it at all. So definitely whenever your vaccinations come due at your vet, have a discussion with them because it's up to you. It's not up to your vet. There are certain counties that enforce rabies vaccines, which you can get, you know, once your pet's not a puppy anymore, you just do that every three years, um, which is sufficient. However, in my case, like Bella, now that she's older and she's sick, she's never going to get another rabies vaccine for the rest of her life. And I wish I went and given her the last one when she was like eight, because that might have ultimately been what started her whole immune deficiency, which led to her lymphoma. I, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced, but I'm not entirely not convinced. The more and more I read about what happens when we over-vaccinate our dogs, it's just astonishing. It's a multi-billion dollar industry for, you know, not only the manufacturers of these vaccines, but also your, your family vet that gets you in the door and gets to charge you for these. So just beware when you go in there, based on the age of your pet, most of the times, the only thing you really are going to need to give is the rabies. So you can decline the other ones and there's nothing to worry about that. You know, the, the county's not going to come after you. Your vet's not going to say you can't come here anymore. You know, it, people are starting to educate themselves and learn this. And even when your pet gets older, you can get something called a titer. 
And what a titer does is a test is just like we're going through with all this COVID stuff right now, it tests the antibody levels in the body to determine whether you have enough to forego the vaccine. So oh, okay. most pets have enough you know, antibody levels from the vaccines they get as a puppy that they don't need them the rest of their life. And that goes for rabies too. It's just a matter of counties want you to get that every three years and show that you're paying your dues and all that. And there's no real way around that unless your pet is so sick that your doctor can write you an exemption note based on a titer test saying that the pet has enough antibodies or the pet is so sick that, you know, this would ultimately kill the pet. So just know, don't feel that you have to give the vaccines because the vet is recommending them. Okay. Yeah. Um, at one point I had three dogs. Jeremy knows I had three dogs at one point. And because I had so many dogs, it was very expensive to get vaccination in the vet office. So I would take them to VIP, which is all they do is like cheaper vaccinations. And that's their bread and butter. So I was actually really appreciative because one year I had brought my dogs there and the nurse there looked at the chart and she, he's like, all three of your dogs are seniors. I don't think your dogs need the vaccinations because he's like, are you still taking them to the dog park? I was like, no, I just walk them, you know, just by themselves around my complex. They don't really interact with any other dogs really just between themselves. And he's like, yeah, your dog don't need these vaccinations because they're not interacting with, you know, a bunch of different dogs. They're less likely to catch any kind of disease or, or a cold or kennel cough, or anything like that. And that's when I stopped vaccinating them. So I was really appreciative for them, you know, to, yeah. to give me that advice. And then now, you know, last time when I took Athena to the vet, they were going to give them vaccinations. And I was really thankful because I was like freaking out and I called Sable and then Sable called you and you said the same thing. You know, she doesn't need vaccination. She's 14 years old. She's not going anywhere. She can't even go on long walks anymore, you know? So there's no point. And that's a really good point because we do vaccinate the crap out of our, out of our pets. Too much, too much. And that also goes with preventatives, right? Which kind of fall into the same category, you know? We're kind of trained now to, you know, once a month, give your pet the heart, heartworm medication and yes. once a month, flea, flea medication. Yeah. And the flea one that makes it, the side effects that they can potentially vomit. So the doctor, the vet told me you have to watch them with the next hour because they can vomit from this medication. I'm thinking, how is this good for them? If they can potentially vomit from this medication, <laughs> it's toxic. It's highly toxic chemicals. You know, a lot of the flea and tick products, the topical ones that go on have been linked to a lot of neurological disorders, pets losing use of their rear legs, seizures. It's, it's horrible. I do not give my dogs preventatives. Okay. If you live in an area where, uh, you know, the mosquitoes do carry heart, the heartworm, by all means, yes, definitely you should do that. But where we live in California, you don't need to give heartworm medication. Let me tell you, your pet's not going to get heartworm. What also, about fleas prevention? Because so we do get fleas in summertime. Fleas and ticks, right? That's another thing. It, it's a matter of your dogs, how irritated they get, whether they get, you know, allergic reaction from the bites or whether an infestation has occurred. But there's a lot of natural products like rosemary, clove, um, chai, there's things that deter them. And another thing that comes back to nutrition, a dog that is fed an optimal diet and is healthy, fleas don't bother them. Okay. 
there's been studies where they put a dog that's fed kevel and a dog that's fed homemade food in an environment with a ton of fleas where did they go the pet that was eating the kibble they mm. left the pet alone that was on a home cooked food another thing that's good is like garlic and ginger will deter fleas there's so many safer alternatives that outweigh the negative consequences right yeah your dog might get a flea here and there but you know your dog might get a flea here or there even on the preventatives mm -hmm. but they might get all the side effects from the toxin buildup too. So I always tell people, you know, by all means, consult with your vet, but do your own research based upon where you live. Like if you live somewhere like in upstate New York, where, you know, the ticks are carrying Lyme disease. Yeah. You're in your pet. You live on a, you know, acreage where your pet has free roam. Your pet should be on tick preventatives because the side effects of that toxic buildup versus your pet getting Lyme disease. I'd take the toxicity over Lyme disease any day. Mm -hmm. But if you're giving them monthly flea medication, just because there's a chance that they might get one or two fleas a year, it doesn't justify it. Yeah. There's other things that you can do. I actually didn't know that topical ones cause neurological problem, but now it makes sense because I would used to only put on Jojo because I noticed if I put on one dog, then the, the fleas, it did, I don't have to put on every single dog, just one dog. And I would always put on Jojo because he had the longest hair. Yeah. But every time I put on his neck, I would notice he would flinch, even though it was just a liquid, you know, yeah. and his eyes would start closing and he looked like he's in pain. And I'm thinking, it's just, a, I'm just putting liquid on your skin. Why are you reacting this way? Now it makes sense. And you should see all the disclaimers on there that like wear gloves, do not get it on yourself. Yeah. yeah you're putting it right on your pet skin, yeah. right? So yeah. it kind of, they're kind of telling you like, this is not good for you. So it's probably not good for your pet. So yeah, that's the rule, right? If it's good for you, then it's okay for your dog. I mean, nutrition, avoid as many toxins as possible. Be in tune with your dog. There's another thing, right? Like treat the pet, not the symptoms. Don't treat symptoms. Don't treat vomiting. Don't treat diarrhea. Treat the pet overall because the body is built a specific way and the immune system has a specific job, right? It keeps us healthy. If we give the immune system what it needs, it will do the rest. You don't need to rely on so much. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a place for Western you know, veterinarians. It's not their fault. They were trained by the book to do it a certain way at no point were they ever taught nutrition. At no point were they ever taught about holistic alternatives, right? A lot of these vets that are holistic now, they had to seek acupuncture training or herbal remedies or homeopathy or all these other forms of holistic healthcare on their own because they saw something that wasn't working and they wanted to fix it. Your vet should be used for a diagnosis. Trust the diagnosis, okay? Do not trust the prognosis. The prognosis is so individual. You can't say because this pet had this type of cancer and died in this amount of time, they can't give that same prognosis to your dog because there's too many other factors that they don't know about. 
So definitely get a diagnosis, like know what's going on with your pet, have them do the necessary, you know, the blood, the urine, any type of abdominal ultrasound, x-rays, anything that they need to do to figure out what's going on with your dog. But you don't need to take the medication that they offer you. And you don't need to trust the prognosis that they give you. I didn't. And I, it's the best decision that I made because my pet is healthier than she's ever been. And it's going on a year and a half later where they said, sign this medical release form. You're taking your dog against our advice and your pet could be dead in six to eight weeks. So. Yeah. And Bella definitely does not look 10 years old. She looks super healthy. Her coat is so beautiful. Another thing. Most people overbathe their dogs. Don't shampoo your dogs unless they have, you know, like to go to a groomer all the time. Bella is almost 10 years old. I can count on one hand how many baths she's had. It strips the essential oil from their skin. They develop allergies. It dries them out. The quality and the luster of their coat is never the same. The best thing to do is if your pet is dirty, Hose them off with regular water in the backyard, just with the garden hose, and then brush them out. Brush them out. You're not stripping the essential oils, you know, or, or I mean, if it's one of those things where you're one of those people that just needs to bathe the dogs, they need to smell good. Make sure you're using a product that's natural and organic and isn't full of chemicals, right? Yeah, fragrance is terrible. Fragrance is terrible. I tell people if you need to use something like, I recommend... Um, Dr. Bronner's hemp soap, fragrance-free, just natural. It, it'll clean them. It will strip some oil, but not all the oil. And even Dawn dish soap, believe it or not, is a better alternative than most store-bought shampoos for your pet. Yeah, most store-bought shampoos are super fragranced. I mean, that is, it's like a perfume bottle. And Yvonne and I coming from the beauty industry, we know like fragrance, there's no regulations on fragrance. Yeah. They don't have to list what's in there. And a lot of times there's cyanide in there. There's all kinds of terrible chemical that's, you know, rat poison. So we need to really pay attention. And, and like you said, do our research or consult someone like you with that kind of knowledge. Yep. So that falls into the category of just like eliminating toxins from mm -hmm. your pet. You know, yep. it's the best thing you can do. Remove the toxins feed them a healthy diet, treat them like a member of the family and be in tune with them. When they're sick, another thing that I needed to learn was not to let them see you sad and crying all the time because they feed off your yes. emotions so much more than you know. Treat them as normal as possible, even when they're sick. Even if it's just taking them for a short little walk, take them out because they're used to it. Try to keep their routine as normal as possible and, and just really do for them what you would hope somebody would do for you. Yes, all very good tips. So last question, yeah. you know, for someone, yeah. you know, like me, who's a busy working mom, I don't have time to go out and research all this stuff. So if I come to you, you know, what can, um, you know, someone who comes, goes to you expect out of your service? So what I do, I do free consultations with people where I evaluate Basically, I ask them to give me all the lab work that has recently been done with their pet. They fill out a summary sheet where I ask a bunch of questions. I evaluate that information with them, ask them what they're trying to do, whether it's my pet has cancer and I don't want to do chemotherapy, or 
I have a pet that's getting older and I've heard that, you know, nutrition and supplements can make their last few years more comfortable. So what I do is I put together various protocols and the protocols are catered specifically to that individual pet or or person, because I also work with people that are suffering from different ailments. But based on the protocol, I give them a recommendation of what they should eat, what they what supplements they should take. I do cannabis specific protocols, what CBD amount and THC amount they should start with and what they should end with. And then to know when you've reached your optimal dose and kind of hold steady there. I'm available after all of that, those protocols, I, you know, I don't charge people. They just follow up questions are inevitably going to happen. So they can either email or call directly and I'm happy to help them. Um, but ultimately the protocol is made specifically for the pet or person. It's just not an off the shelf, like, you know, add some sardines and, you know, go, go to your dispensary and buy CBD and good luck. It's very tailored specifically to what either the person or the pet is suffering from or the desired outcome that they're looking to achieve. Great. And then where can they find you if they want to um, use your service? So they can find me um, at hopefulholistics.com, my website. Uh, They can just Google it, Facebook page, um, at hopefulholistics, and all my contact information is there. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for coming on the podcast. This has been very informative. I look forward to uh, consulting with you with my dogs. And uh, I hope you have a good rest of the weekend. Yes, thank you. Thank you, you too, Yan. And nice meeting you, Yvonne. You too, thank you. Bye. Thanks again for listening to this episode. We really appreciate your support for our little podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it will mean the world to us if you can leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. This will help more people discover our podcast. You can find Lost and Refound podcast on Instagram at lost.and.refound. If you want to email us, you can do so at lostandrefoundpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I hope you stay positive and creative. Bye.